It's episode 27 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and with me are J.P. Breen and Ryan Top. It's the top 100 prospect list season, so we're going to break that down and how the Brewers system looks uh, in various publications. Uh, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on iTunes. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in the Milwaukee Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit uh, our Patreon at patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove uh, level patrons will receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast. And you guys just did that this past week for the first time. And it's up. It is up. You guys like it? Think it went well? Absolutely. It was, I think we got through a good dozen questions from, you know, to people listening and gave us an opportunity to really dive into some low level prospects. And I think it'll be a great venue or like a, a really nice format for us going forward to look back and kind of dive deep into the box scores and scouting reports and stuff on a month to month basis. I think it'll be great. Yeah. I listened to it at the gym uh, that next morning and I didn't hate the gym any more than usual. So I figured you guys did. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's high praise. That is high praise. So we'll take it. Um, Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored in part by sound devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional sounding podcast, check out the mix pre three and mix pre six for more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay. So we had some news, uh, Saturday that broke late, late afternoon. About this time. Late afternoon, early yeah. evening. You uh, Darvish signs with the Cubs, breaking Milwaukee Brewers fans' hearts, I guess. Yeah. I mean, was anybody really sold that he was going to sign with the Brewers? People had hopes, I think. But Ho- I, I hope, don't know. hope is one thing, but actually believing that it could happen is another. But anyways, he signs with the Cubs six years, $126 million. He has $24 million in incentives, so it can be worth... 150 million but we know that he has to like win multiple Cy Youngs to get the full value of that so it seems like it's probably pretty tough for him to really get up to that top number sure um and then uh as JP pointed out right before we're gonna we were going to record uh he has an opt-out after 2019 so he could go big for two seasons and then decide to sign another big contract in a couple years right and but, then put some pressure on the Cubs to bring him back, potentially, too. Exactly. Um, but as far as 2018, uh, Ryan, what do you think this does for the Cubs this season? I think it takes a team that was already favored and makes them slightly higher favorites for the division. I don't think there's really anything controversial or, or earth-shattering about that. I think they had the best on-paper roster coming into the winter. They've added to it, you know, maybe... Well, probably about, I don't know, the same as what the Brewers have done in terms of overall value added. And they're going to come out of it still the favorites in the division uh, ahead of both the Brewers and the Cardinals. But that's it's on paper. And we'll see how it shakes out over the course of 162. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Darvish is basically replacing what Arietta did for them last season. So he's not replacing, you know, a one-win player. No, he's not, though they also added Jose Quintana at the break, and he was only there for half the season. So, 
I mean, even a little bit less than half the season. So they also get that added value as well. So Yeah. So, uh, JP, what do you think of this move for the Cubs? How much does Darvish basically help them take control of the NL Central before we even start playing games? I, well, it obviously makes them a lot better. It's not – I had basically penciled in this move for the past month or so. So, like, this is not anything – different than we've been working with. I mean, it's just been clear that the Cubs had to do something and Darvis just made the most sense. I still think the, I don't Everybody is, is basically handing them a trophy for how good their starting rotation is. I'm not necessarily sold that it's that great. Um, I think John Lester is obviously a, a, a good solid. He's probably a mid rotation pitcher now, maybe a little, maybe a fringe two. Uh Quintana, I've never liked Quintana as much as everybody else. People listening to the podcast know that from last year. Um, but I st- obviously still really, really solid number three. Darvish, as much as everybody loves his stuff, and I and I fully agree that he was the best starter on the market, he's not an ace. And I, I don't think he's pitched like an ace for better part of three years. So it's still a question of whether or not that that run prevention is going to be anything more than I think last year he was about a three-five uh, starter, and that's actually what Jake Arrieta was able to provide last year as well. And I think that there's a little bit too much confidence in Tyler Chatwood. I don't know where everybody thinks that. Ty- like there was even some talk last night. I mean, Nick brought up the fact that Chatwood is the number five starter, and a lot of people online have been talking about how you know that just signals how great the depth is. But Tyler Chatwood couldn't even lock down a starting rotation job for the Rockies. And there's so much talk about how the fact that his ERA away from Coors Field was so good that that basically is going to mean he's great for the Cubs when he's got injury history. He's not, and he's doesn't have track record. Um, but when you look at what Darvish gives, obviously they were going to look at having Eddie Butler in the rotation without somebody like Darvish. So in terms of their offseason, that's a massive upgrade and probably the best upgrade they could have made to their starting rotation this offseason because I don't think without giving up some major pieces from their major league squad I don't think that they could have been players for somebody like Chris like Chris Archer or anybody like that so I think Darvish is exactly what the Cubs needed Um, makes them the clear favorite in the NL Central but I still I don't think the Cubs are the best team in the the National League so I think that there's a little bit too much uh too much of an overreaction. To, yeah. To some Did you guys moments. catch that article in the uh, Chicago Tribune handing them the NL crown already? No. Uh, yeah, there was I think I saw you mention it, but yeah. yeah. There was an article in the Chicago Tribune saying, you know, here are your, your 2018 NL champion Chicago Cubs. It's like, yeah, that's never backfired on anybody before. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, th- they, are, they are the favorites in the division. Sure, but and are, I don't think but, any nobody's going to question that. But I think last season showed that they're not the juggernaut of the NL that they thought they were going to be after 2016. Maybe not. Absolutely. But well, and their bullpen has their bullpen has big question marks too. The bullpen has question marks, but I think the thing that we're sort of glossing over is the fact that their lineup, their everyday lineup is tremendous and incredibly young, incredibly talented and yet proven in you know a lot of ways what's interesting about the cubs though is 2016 they had a fantastic defense Mm -hmm. 
And now that they want to put this great lineup together, it means putting Kyle Schwarber in the outfield and kind of moving pieces around. They don't have that defensive unit that they had in 16 that made them such a force in baseball. It's I, still pretty good. I mean, you've and got I am, Baez and I am, I am Russell. Not, I'm not middle. taking anything away from the Cubs. <laughs> and I'm not saying like, oh, the, the Cardinals and the Brewers somehow are right there with them challenging for the Central right now. But there are moves that they've made in the past, you know, two off seasons now that I don't know, have kind of undermined what was so far the best season of this current uh, front office and what they've been able to put together. I also don't, I also think that as, as good as the Cubs lineup is, and I, you know, we don't need to spend too much time on the Cubs because we should talk about the Brewers, but it's, it is a situation in which you still look at a team like the nationals. And I don't understand like the nationals have, a great offense as well. And they're going to get Adam Eaton back this year, which can help them uh, set the table up at the top. I know Bryce Harper is probably going to be heading elsewhere after 20, 2018, but they've still got Daniel Murphy. They've got Ryan. Uh, they've got Ryan Zimmerman. They've still got Anthony Rondon. They've got they're They're stacked pretty Trey well Turner. across the board and they've got Trey Turner who will be back. And they've also got uh, Victor Robles who is, still kind of coming up the system who has a potential to be a stud as well. So I think that there is so much people are overlooking the nationals just because so much of the off season has been about what kind of moves have you made? Who have you added? The nationals haven't really added anybody, but it's a question of who they really needed to. And the vast majority of their additions are people who were injured last year, like Eaton and, and Turner are going to be back full time. Right. Um, so baseball prospectus uh, put out their projected depth chart that, uh, this past week. Um, so we got a little preview of what they think the standings will be basically across baseball. Uh, they have the Cubs on top of the NL Central with 89 wins, followed by the Cardinals at 84 and the Brewers at 83. Um, any quibbles with seeing that laid out? And this is, I think this is before... Yeah, it's pre-Darvish. Yeah, this is pre-Darvish. The last time they did their update for the Cubs was January 20th. So right. probably add another win or a couple wins. Two uh, or three. Well, yeah, because, I mean, basically he's going to be upgrading uh, Eddie Butler. So I think probably two or three wins is fair. Yeah, so they're 89, probably put him at 92. 91. 91, 92. Yeah. Um, which the Nationals are currently at 89 in the NL East. Um, and the Dodgers are supposed to run away with the West with 99 projected wins. <laughs> well, and last year everybody laughed because what they have them at like 100. Oh, yeah, they were so far ahead of the Cubs and everybody was like, no way. And then the Dodgers just steamrolled the entire league. Yeah, they had for a season. They decided to stop playing for two weeks. Right. <laughs> and they still ran away with the NL. Right. So, yeah. but anyways, back to the NL Central. Um, Cardinals and Brewers are basically right next to each other in the standings. Is that kind of what we're thinking going into the season so far? No other moves made. Yeah. Is that kind well, of what we're looking at? Feels right I to think, me. Yeah, I think it's fair. I think if you do look at the Cardinals and the Brewers, they're relying on kind of the same thing in regards to breakout candidates being real. Like the Cardinals need Tommy Pham to be legitimate. Oh, yeah. And it's not necessarily a, a given obviously, but the Brewers have, you know, the Travis Shaw's of the world. They've got the chase Anderson's that they need to be real, but the Cardinals are still going to basically be relying on Adam Wainwright to defy aging still. Um, they've still got questions in their, 
their uh, starting rotation. Well, and, and Wainwright just had an article this week where he's basically going to stick it to any uh, internet writer, I think, basically saying that he's old. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, because basically age is nothing but a number. I don't know. Right. Dude, yeah. I got to write I got to write an article to, about that then. He reads everything apparently about him. He, yeah, I think no, he, that's he, what I'm Adam saying. Wainwright Googles himself, and Wainwright is probably easy to Google. Yeah, I would say if he wants to get upset about it, could, we could all participate in that and start yeah. writing articles i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure we uh do a good job tagging this podcast this week <laughs> <laughs> no i think is if you do look at what the situation is uh the pakota rankings came or like the projections came out and the brewers top two producing players whether it's you know uh, a pitcher or a position player are the the two players that they acquired this offseason uh, Kane and Yelich are the the top two players, and first of all, that should show the additions and like it, it should show the upgrade for the the batting order or position players, or in terms of like what kind of offensive and defensive output are allowed to contribute to the team. But the fact that they can have, I think, both a deep and talented group of position players, both defensively. Uh, and offensively the fact that they're only projected to have 83 wins highlights how thin the the pitching staff is right i mean both in terms of there are question marks with the the bullpen there are question marks with the starting rotation both even if they get somebody else in there are still questions within the starting rotation and i don't think that fans even though they should be excited about the additions that the brewers have made and will make this offseason, I still think it'd be too much to suggest that they're anything better than probably fighting for for second place at this point, unless the Cubs have something happen with injuries or underperformances or, or what have you. But still, it's going to be a good season if the Brewers reach 86 wins again. I mean, depending on what they do for not to, a to great season, I mean, but like last season was a great season because it was a surprise. They were yeah. projected at like 76 wins, 78 wins or something like that coming into the season. So they yeah. well outplayed that. But if they win 86, they won't have underperformed in any way. No, I think if roster, 80, no. Yeah. If they win 86, I think it means a lot of good things happened. Right. I mean, that's a lot of that means Travis Shaw came back and still produced. That still that means Chase Anderson was able to come back and still be, you know, a three five ERA type guy over 200 innings Um, means maybe that Jimmy Nelson comes back and actually produces Uh, Josh Hader is successful in the bullpen. You know, a lot of things. 86 wins. I know that we kind of scoff at that now because we're so we've been used to seeing so many teams win like upwards of 100 games recently. Uh, But 86 wins is still a quality season. And so, well, and with five playoff teams, that's pushing to get it in the postseason. Absolutely, it is. That's being in the race in September, no question. I mean, but you want to you want to get to ninety. Ninety, you'll you pretty much make it with ninety wins. But eighty six, yeah. you're at least challenging for it. it eighty six yeah. won't be seen as the success it was last year, no. though, no. by fans. I mean, it will be considered a Nor failure. Should it be. Right. I mean, so there's it will that. not be seen as a failure. Well, it'll be seen as a as a. A sort of failure. It depends what websites you're reading, right? Yeah, yes, it does. Uh, but uh, the other thing is, I don't think any of us think the Brewers are particularly done at this point. So I would expect their projection from where they're at right now, where they're at, you know, 82, 83 wins. I would expect them to still add a win or two or three before we open on opening day. 
in right. you know in projection. Well, I well, think they're still going they, to do something. But here. they also have some room. When you're talking about Brandon Woodruff is probably at the back of the rotation. Corbin Burns could challenge for a spot. I mean, those are guys that could outperform maybe what the projection systems think. Right, they could, and they're they're where the upside lies. Well, some of the upside. There's well, upside kind of all over the roster. I mean, the other thing is, you know, the, the guys that had great seasons last year, when you're talking about Chase Anderson, you're talking about Tra- Travis Shaw, anybody like that, they don't have long track records. So Pakoda's not going to say they're going to repeat what they did last right. season. They're Absolutely. they're soft-selling all those guys. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I personally think they're maybe a little bit better than that. One thing to remember about these projections, too, is they cluster towards the mean or towards average, they cluster towards 81. So you don't see generally huge projections on teams. Um, And we are kind of seeing it this year and last year with the Dodgers and with the Astros. We're starting to see a little bit of that, but that just goes to show how the AL has more of it. Right. It goes to show how good those teams are, as opposed to the fact that Pakoda is, you know, changing their methodology or whatever. They're not. You're still teams tend to cluster in the projections a little bit closer to 500 than what you'll end up seeing at the in the end game. Yeah, you're not going to see 89 game winners winning the division for the most part. I'm going to be really surprised if the National or the Cubs, the Nationals or the Cubs win with 89 games. So, I mean, (laughs) yeah, that's just something like when you see these projections, kind of look at it in a range. I always figure you probably got about, you know, you can go five games up or five games down, and yeah. it's nothing that's out I of think the they're, norm. They're most useful in comparison to other teams. Sure. So if you compare, you know, where the Cubs are, the the win number doesn't mean so much. It's that they're projected to be, you know, five plus wins better than the Cubs and Brewers, who are you know a substantial ways behind them, who are then paired very close to each other. That means more than the actual win totals. Yeah, itself. I mean, think of all the moves the Giants made this offseason, and they have an eighty-four win projection. Sure. Yeah, like but, they did a I lot mean, of work and they're just They did a lot of work, but that also highlights how bad they were. Well, exactly. I mean, that was a lot of work and they got up to like okay, you're respectable and if things break right, you know, if Evan Longoria suddenly is younger than he is now, like if he turns out to play like he's a younger player than he is currently because Evan he, Longoria's been around for a while. He's Benjamin Button. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if if Evan Longoria is the Benjamin Button of baseball, then maybe you know they could outplay what they're going to do. But I, when you I, acquire I, old players, I mean, what do you what do you expect? Well, and the most interesting thing about the Giants is that they clearly made really aggressive moves. First of all, they didn't have to give up much, so kudos to them for actually adding without having to get up, give up anything significant. Well, did well they, they have didn't much? have. I was just going to say they didn't have much to give up to be used right, to which was with. why, like all this time, they were saying, "Well, the Giants want to make a trade for whatever," and you're like, "Well, that's cute. What are you going to give up?" And they still were able to pull off a couple of like a couple of pretty good trades. Um, But it is one of those things in which it highlights that the giants made a lot of moves to fight for a wildcard spot because they know that their farm system wasn't very good. They know that they're on the last couple of years in which they can do anything to potentially even make the wild card. Uh, But the giants are, I, th- I still think they're even behind the Rockies. I'm not convinced that they're even better than the Diamondbacks in the West. So it's a really tough spot for them. Yeah, and I mean, if you're in the West right now, I mean, you're basically, if you're not the Dodgers, you're looking at, you know, getting in in the wild card. That's pretty much your only option. Absolutely. So, yeah, the Rockies have a low projection at 78. But again, 78 wins. But again, they added a lot to their bullpen. 
um, you know, defensively. So, I mean, they're a team that is kind of underappreciated in a lot of these projection systems. Yeah. And they're, and they're banking on young pitching maturing, right? They're they're They want John Gray to take a step forward. They're looking for Hoffman to be the real thing. They're looking for, uh, you know, Marquez to come back and be something. And so it is for them, they have a lot of variance because of their starting pitching where it could just absolutely bomb or the, a lot of their young pitchers could take a step forward that a lot of people are projecting. If, if Jeff Hoffman comes in and is a stud and he can be, um, they suddenly look way better. Obviously, the variance on Hoffman was shown last year that he could just be Tyler Glass now and not know where the, the strike zone is and end up down in AAA. But they have they have arms, and they've got really interesting arms. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, but I, I agree with you that I think they're a little underappreciated. Anybody else that stands out to you in those production, projections, Ryan, that you think could outplay or... The Mets are interesting just because you wonder what the health and they, is they were be like. They're projected at eighty one and eighty one, right? And so they're they're kind of within shouting distance of competing in the NL uh, wild card, not in the, in if, the East necessarily. Basically, but in the wild card. If, if if that rotation stays healthy and does what everybody has always hoped they could do, well, maybe they'll kind of get into the conversation. If Syndergaard and Degrom are as good as Syndergaard and Degrom could be they're definitely in a conversation. Sure. And there's then enough, they need, there's enough yeah, offense but there. They're still going to need maths. You know, it would probably help if Harvey could is, be I something. Mean, is there enough offense there? Yeah. Um, to be competent. Sure. Well, that's a different discussion than being quality enough to make the, make the postseason. to deal with, to, to be able to back up. Well, in a, in a weird NL environment right now, where you've got a lot of teams that are really bad and a few teams that are really good. We just named like five other teams that were going for. It's four not really spots. that dire as people make it seem because you have you have uh, you just name the Mets. You have the Cardinals. You have the Brewers. You have okay. the Diamondbacks. You have the Giants. Then you have the Rockies, who are probably underrated. I suppose those That's are true. all teams that we could legitimately see pushing for the wild card in the NL. And the and the Pirates, depending on what happens with their young players, are not terrible. Right, and the Phillies and Braves have. They're still probably a few years away from being really impactful on the race, but they could surprise too. They they both have a, a large number of young players with talent. I mean, their so. issue are the number of teams now in front of them that are probably just that much yeah. better. Right. What the but, what the Mets what the Mets need is they need Dominic Smith to be productive and a legitimate middle of the rotation <laughs> or middle of the lineup bat. And they went out and got Adrian Gonzalez because, sure, why not? If you'd like a need to actually have an offense that's going to produce, why not go and get somebody who can't hit for power? And- well, talk about needing a Benjamin they, Button player. They they, right. they added Todd Frazier too, guys. <laughs> Jesus, I forgot about that. What a what an underwhelming contract for him. What <laughs> I when I'm looking at guys who I'm like, oh, these are my contemporaries. I feel really bad for a team at this point. I've gotten to that point where now I'm like, oh, those are the old guys, and those old guys are my Younger age. than you. Yeah, younger. Well, no, for the most part. Adrian Gonzalez, what is he? He was he was like an 1980 baby, so he's probably about. Yeah, he's, he's about the same age. age. Yeah, yeah. My age. You were in, born in the 70s. That's what I, I heard. Was, yeah, born in the 70s. <laughs> I heard it, it just if anybody uh, hasn't gotten a chance to hear about the minor league uh, episode, there was discussion both of Ryan being born in the 70s 
and the size of his head. So uh, <laughs> those that's the kind of insight people get. If, I have if, to I have to know, were you just like cracking up on the treadmill when we started talking about the size of my giant freak? I head? was. And okay, here's the thing. This is why Ryan and I go to a lot of concerts, and it's great when we go to general admission shows because he's tall and his head is so large that I can always find him in a crowd, which makes it great. Like there he is. He's just, you know, this big like you know, moon head basically above everyone else that I can zero in on and, you know, just kind of fight right through the crowd. You're welcome. It, it's it's a nice feature. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about let's okay. talk about top So we, we have uh, a bunch of top one hundred prospect lists that came out. Baseball America, baseball prospectus, fangraphs has it, uh MLB pipeline, and then Keith Law did his list as well. Um Keston Hira basically showed up on every list uh, anywhere between, what was it, 24 on Fangraphs and I think... 56 on MLB Pipeline. 56, that's the lowest. MLB Pipeline yeah. was the lowest. So uh, sort of a consensus top 50 guy. Sure. And then Corbin Burns is the other guy who was on every list. And there was a big discrepancy. He was as high as 24 uh, for Keith Law. Um, and then he was as low as 80? 69. No, 80 on the baseball oh, prospectus list. Oh, right. Yep. 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 Um, so uh, those are the two consensus. Consensus top 100. Guys. They were on every yeah. single list. Uh, then we have Brandon Woodruff. Uh, he popped up on a couple. Uh, Brett Phillips popped up on a couple. Um, Tristan Lutz popped up on the fan graphs list. Mm -hmm. And then Lucas Ersig was on Keith Law's list. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess after seeing... Brinson and Harrison and even Diaz uh, traded this offseason. How do we feel uh, looking at the guys that are popping up on the lists um, right now in the top 100, Ryan? I mean, it still seems like they have a pretty solid system. It's obviously not what it was before the trade, but it's still a very solid system. And I think that the strength of it still comes from the fact that as you go into the teens with this system, you're still finding really quality guys. You know, when you could look and say, you know, Cody Ponce is in the mid-teens of this system, somebody like that, or Mario Feliciano, who I know JP loves, is in the teens for the most part when you see individual rankings. When you have guys like that that are that far down, you know that there's quality in the system still and that you have a depth that you can work with and work around. So that's, that's good. And they have – this is a fine complement of top players, especially after you've traded out – like you said, three guys who made top 100 lists. So, and two of whom were on every top 100 list. Harrison, I believe, made every list, right? And Brett said, yeah. Brent's well, Harrison yeah, Harrison did. now is pretty much on. Yeah, Harrison's on every list. Diaz is a guy who I think would depending sneak on, into the back end. Yeah, sometimes. depending on who you're looking at, they might put him in, but yeah. he's not necessarily always a top 100. Um, yeah, I mean, and there's a nice mix. Uh, wow, a nice mix of pitching and hitting, too. You have uh, – there was a, a mention today of the uh, Baseball America did their top whatever it was. Like it was a weird number. It was like 70-something uh, right-handed pitching prospects. <laughs> that seems very specific. Well, it was – yeah, it was – they took all the guys who got a certain grade and above and okay. created the list that way. And the Brewers had three guys – or I'm sorry, four guys in the top 50. And you think about where the Brewers were in terms of developing pitching um, a decade ago or even five years ago. And they seem to have figured some stuff out in terms of being able to develop pitchers, keep them healthy through the system, bring them up, get them to the big leagues healthy and productive. And this isn't a totally new thing. We've seen this now, 
with the, you know, going back to Jimmy Nelson um, with uh, Mike Fires, we've seen them develop some pitching more than they had been in the decade previous. So, but it seems to be a continuing ongoing thing that they're getting better and better at figuring out how to do this, yeah. which was something that they absolutely had to do because as a, as a small market team, you just cannot rely on uh, getting all your pitching on the open market because the prices are just not either in trade or in free agency. It's just difficult to do it that way. Except for this year, apparently. So Except for we'll, this we'll year, see apparently. What, we'll see what happens with that. So, JP, do you have any takeaways from all of these lists, either uh, about guys who show up on every list or you know, guys like Tristan Lutz or Lucas Ersig kind of getting singled out, depending on who you're talking to? Yeah, I think one of the most interesting interesting things to me is you can tell what the different lists value based on where they where they put guys. I mean, I know that some of the time we talk about, you know, the fact that Keston Hero is up at number twenty four for fan graphs, it must mean that they love him. And and sure, I don't think that they view Keston Hero as any different than you know MLB Pipeline that has him at fifty six, but it's much more. And, and I know, you know, because I know who works on the MLB pipeline, they're just worried about his defense. They don't know if he can throw yet. If they if they didn't have concerns over the fact that he could play a quality second base defense, he would not be number 56 in the system. Um, if if they were confident about Hero's defense, where would he be on most lists? I would say that he probably between 20 and 30. And so instead of having a few that, again, like you said, pipeline putting him at 56, Baseball America has him at 47. He would be a top 30 prospect everywhere. I, I don't think he would make it really top 20 anywhere. I think that somebody like Keith Law and we're not Keith Law, but somebody like Fangraphs, they basically are doing it off the bat. And figuring out that defensively, he's going to figure it out somewhere. And you can see that with. You know, the the Corbin Burns, you can see that with the fact that they had Tristan Lutz at 68, they're much more willing to uh they're much more willing to be creative in how they value guys. Um, where the baseball America putting Brandon Woodruff at 61, putting Brett Phillips at, at 80, they're much more like, are these guys going to make the big leagues? Yes or no. Um, and then guys like Keith Law, guys like Fangraphs, even baseball per- perspectives to a bit. Um, but especially fan graphs, especially Keith law are going to prioritize upside. They're going to prioritize guys who they think they, they basically want to get in ahead of the curve on and fan graphs with the addition of, of Kylie to their staff is going to bring somebody that really values young, high upside talent. Um, yeah, that's and, really a ceiling list with fan graphs. When you have Hira, Bur- Hira at 24, Burns at 35, and then Lutz at 68. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Especially the Lutz one stands out because. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where you're, he's not just in the top 100, he's solidly in the top 100. And that's largely on projection. And I think everybody would love to see. Everybody looks at those three as being high upside Brewers prospects. And, you know, best case scenario, those are the three that really turn out for the team moving forward. Yeah. And I think that, especially for Baseball America, and I think that most fans don't recognize this, when guys are making their debut in Major League Baseball, if you ever watch a Brewers telecast, the first thing that they do is said ranked 
wherever on Baseball America's list. I would say it's changed a little bit. It's more pipeline now because of the the tight relationship. If they've MLB's well, branded to pipeline sure. a little bit, but okay. no, I mean, that's, they that's they enough, still. I think they still lean on Baseball America. I think you see well, both of them, especially yeah. especially because uh, you know they still have Tom Hodricourt writing the vast majority of stuff for them. That's right? true with too. The, yeah. with, the, with the journal, I mean, they've got that stuff in there. And if you look at what Pipeline and you look at what Baseball America are doing, they're they're it's changed a little bit with Callus at Pipeline, but they're trying to bring. They they are much more focused on who is going to be a big leaguer, uh, where got like Fangraphs and Keith Law. Keith Law, I think, tends to like, um, not to be a contrarian, but he likes to be aggressive on certain guys. Well, he did that with Burns for he sure. Is definitely doing that. Well, with he Burns. did that on Burns, and he does that on he did that on Ursig too. He's not yep. afraid. But right? Burn, Burns at 24 is really planting a flag. I mean, Ursig has had some moments, I think, where people want to put him in the top 100. So that's not like... Well, he had him in his top 100 last year. And sure. they kept him there, even though he had a brutal start to the season, but then got going in the second half, and then in the fall league was excellent. So, Well, and you'll also see Keith Law um, be really aggressive on guys that he sees in the AFL. Yes, uh, when he gets a good look. Well, and he's there talking to a lot of other people, right? I mean, he tends to be really high on those types of players. So it's and like not to get like too me- like meta about it, but it's it is interesting to even think about the fact like I don't know if Brett Phillips was actually deemed eligible in one in a list like Fangraphs. Um, right. And I know that baseball perspectives, we talked about it a lot last year. The fact that I said it was ridiculous that people took Brett Phillips off of top 10 lists last year for the Brewers organization because they basically stat scouted him. I don't think he was not, obviously he was better statistically because of Colorado Springs, but people started to say, look at his defense, look at his arm, look at what kind of profile he can have. If he is a platoon center fielder and he can play the strong side of platoon, that's actually quite valuable. That's not a top 50 guy. But that's somebody that has legitimate big league value, and that's why you see him up there for Baseball America, and you see him there for Baseball Perspectives. Yeah, I think after dropping last season... He dropped too far, yeah. Yeah, he dropped too far, but he showed during the season last year that he could be a major league player. How good of a major league player, we're still kind of waiting to see. Right. But he was not... It took him a little bit... It took him a little bit of time. There's a lot of swing and miss, but he can play in the major leagues. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a very valuable player. So um, Dan Zimborski did his Zips top 100, and that was on uh, ESPN. So he basically did projections for, do we ever figure it out? Was it like five seasons out? I don't know. Something I, I like that. Yeah, it generally tries to look at that kind of time frame. Um, interesting uh, stuff to take away from that. He has Brandon Woodruff as his number 21 prospect. So he's looking at Woodruff being a contributor at the major leagues. He has Corbin Burns at 26. And then you have like Brett Phillips, Mauricio Dubon, and Kesson Hurst way down. But again, someone like uh, Hira is not going to rank high in zips because there's not much information. Right. To go on. Yeah. Guys who don't have minor league track record are yeah. going to, you have to, to, when, yeah, to move so, up this list, you have to get minor league track record. Yeah. When but, you're looking at that list, yeah, it's kind of weird because you have to have some track record somewhere to actually like basically filter in. Yes. Zips, zips is going to absolutely value defensive metrics as well that's why you see mauricio dubon up there that's why you see brett phillips up there because it's going by wins above replacement 
Okay. And it's going to be heavily valuing whether or not you can give defensive defensive well, value. I think teams to... teams are doing that no, as wait, well. So but, it's, it's... Zips, Zips is trying to project it over 600 plate appearances, though. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Where somebody like Brett Phillips is probably not going to get 600 plate appearances over the course of an entire season just because he's not generally going to face lefties. And Mauricio Dubon, if he's a utility infielder and can provide quality defense throughout, but isn't necessarily playing every day, he's also going to be ranked too highly on this. But that's yeah. why I think that Keston here, it's, it's actually much more of a concern about his defense than it is about track record for here, I'd say. Yeah, so anyways, but what I wanted to talk about that was I, I, what Woodruff can contribute this season, because obviously a projection thinks like, okay, this is a guy that's going to be at least a guy in the rotation. Yeah, I don't. We talked about this last week too. I think, and I just don't see any real way where you're taking Brandon Woodruff out of the the starting rotation to begin the year, unless he shows, unless he gets hurt in spring training, or if he shows like he said some sort of weird mechanical collapse or something. Like something really strange would have to happen because you don't, you're not going to send him back to AAA to get his brains beaten in, and you're not going to send him all the way back down to. Uh, to Bloxy. Like there just isn't it's time, you know? It's it's time to for him to to sink or swim. And it's not like he's even the at this point, he's not even the fifth guy. He's the fourth guy. Like maybe you could make an argument that if they go out and add one of the top free agent starters still. Okay, so now that pushes Woodruff down to the five spot to start the year. Maybe then there's there's more conversation about it. But as it stands right now it's basically impossible for me to see a way where he would not be in the starting rotation as it stands. Yeah. JP. I mean, I know some people probably want to see junior Guerra who's walking a ton and, you know, not striking anybody out, but preventing runs in what the Venezuelan league, Venezuelan winter league. Yeah. Yeah, He's in the Venezuelan winter league doing this. Um, You know, some people think that he should get a shot over Woodruff. Is there even a consideration to giving a guy like that a spot in the rotation over Brandon Woodruff right now? I don't I don't think so. Um, I mean, maybe what things happen in spring can be a little bit can can influence it a little, because the one thing about Junior Guerra is the fact if he does get in a groove in which he can locate his splitter and he can locate his fastball, he has shown that he can be good. It's just a question of whether or not he can do it consistently, which we know that he cannot. But if he does get in a stretch in which he can, maybe he can slide in the backside of it. But I think Brandon Woodruff, I've been trying to think a lot of who he reminds me of um and guys might not like this uh but he reminds he reminds me a lot of Lance Lynn and that would be, you know what I would be, be Lance Lynn that I would, would be, be a fantastic thrilled if they had a Lance Lynn come through the system and you could just like basically lean on him for four or five seasons right I mean I, and I he was think that out 200 200 inning seasons and yeah. right. I mean, you just think of the fastball slider profile that Lynn has uh, Lynn's kind of career swinging strike rate and strikeout rate are about the same as what Woodruff uh, has shown. And I think Woodruff potentially has a better uh, change up that, you know, Lynn hasn't really messed with, but I also think Lynn probably has a better uh, a better fastball in terms of being able to consistently get ground balls and, and locate it. But that, that's a different question. They're obviously not going to be a perfect match, but I think that Woodruff, if you want to try to figure out kind of the best case scenario for what Brandon Woodruff can be, I think Lance Lynn's probably a pretty good shout. 
Okay. Um, how do we feel about uh, Corbin Burns being ranked 26 on the list? Does this maybe sway an opinion like he could get a legitimate shot in spring training or is he going to have to spend a little time in triple a before he really gets a chance boy i would hope he would go back to double a instead of going to triple a <laughs> i just the idea of him in colorado anybody in colorado springs that i care about as a pitching prospect i just prefer not well i mean hater spent some time there and Hater's i mean you know he was okay he was yeah. playable there like he he kept his his numbers respectable, but you still, it's just what that could do to a guy. JP, is there a type of pitcher that you could see in Colorado Springs, like taking some time before he gets called up or at least, you know, a, a couple months, you know, and it's not somebody who's going to get just mentally destroyed by it. Even if their pitching stats aren't great, like, is there a type of guy who should go to Colorado Springs or that they should be all right with, you know, going there? Yeah, I think it's going to be somebody that's not reliant on on a breaking ball. I, I mean, if you've got a guy who's primarily reliant on a fastball, I don't like Josh Hader, for example. I, I don't think that that's too terrible. If, if you've got a guy, especially if you've got somebody who's going to be basically fastball changeup, I don't think that's going to be a big deal to send them to to Colorado Springs. They might still get blasted statistically, but I don't think it's going to have a situation in which like we saw with, uh, you know, young men or we saw with Jorge Lopez, Jorge Lopez in which they actually start changing their mechanics to try to get better success with their, their off speed stuff. So what about with Burns? Whose whose primary secondary pitch or their main secondary pitch, I should say is a curveball. That's yeah, that's dicey. Yeah. So what do you think of Burns going to uh, Colorado Springs? I don't, I don't love it. Um, because he's still, what is, he, what is Burns's repertoire? So he throws, uh, basically he has four pitches, but he's going to rely primarily on a, on fastball chain, uh, fastball slider is his primary secondary pitch, but then he's also got a curveball that he can show a little bit and uh change up that flashes depending on when you see him. Um, but he still has trouble once in a while of flying out or throwing, you know, the slider that is a cement mixer and so that's not necessarily something that you really want to have at colorado springs but <laughs> cement mixer sliders no <laughs> it's bad i just don't understand i for me i've been trying to play with this in in my head a little bit that i don't i've been coming around more on corbin burns breaking camp with the brewers because i don't see the point of sending him to double a whatsoever um I mean, he doesn't have anything more to prove there. His command is good enough that he can just get by in double A without really doing too much. And I don't really want to see him go to Colorado Springs, though I think he's probably going to to follow the Brandon Woodruff uh, path from last year, if I had to guess. But if he can show in the spring, it's not the worst thing in the world to allow somebody who's had nothing but success, if he can show success in spring, to be able to try to break the break camp with the big league squad. And if he can't handle it, they've got enough depth in the system. They've got junior Garrett's of the world. They've got maybe Brent Suter that can handle it until, you know, Jimmy Nelson comes back. If do you have, hold on. Do you have any interest in seeing him potentially break it as a relief pitcher or no. does he need to be a starter? I, that's the way I lead. Also, I don't, I don't see, I don't, that surprises me that you don't want him to break in as a reliever. Um, yeah, I'm less about that than Steve is. That's I think I, I'm, I'm more thing. the guy who thinks you know break them all at his relievers. Yeah, put him in reliever. Put him in the bullpen and and get him some time there first. I'm okay with yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know. I still think he just 
And I'm not advocating he, for that with Burns, by the way. I don't know. Yeah, I just think the the things that he needs to work on are his secondary pitches and his sequencing. Um, I don't necessarily. Uh, it's a lot of the same concerns that I had with uh, Josh Hader in the bullpen about like what was he really going to learn in the bullpen, and that answer has still basically been nothing. And he's been so good in the bullpen now that they don't feel confident enough to move him out into the starting rotation because he still has the same question marks that he had 12 months ago. Um, well, but Hader was also a guy that no matter where he was ranked on prospect lists, people still thought he could be a starter or he could be a reliever. Absolutely. But in order to find out if he could be a starter, he needed to pitch regularly into the fifth inning. Yeah, I'm, the, I'm just bringing that up because Burns doesn't have that question. Oh, right. Yeah. No, you're totally right. But I think for Hader, it made so much more sense to put him in the bullpen if you were ready to find somebody who could have success now. Um, because in the starting rotation, basically it was question marks over whether or not he could throw enough strikes, whether or not his changeup was going to be good enough and whether or not he could hold his velocity into the fifth inning. And those are questions that cannot be answered unless you give a guy a chance to start every fifth day for six months. Um, and so since those are still the question marks, I can't see a real argument to say that he's better suited for the rotation now than he was before he broke in with the, with the Brewers. Um, and I think that that's one of the key reasons you actually see the Brewers probably keeping Hater in the, in the bullpen right now. And I know that they're going to keep saying that they think he can be a starter. I'm not necessarily, I think the only way he becomes a starter is if there's a massive hole that they need to fix. I think they would much rather create a quality, starting rotation and keep him in the bullpen because he's so valuable there. Is there any chance that if, if Burns has a big spring, is there any chance that they screw around with his service time before calling him up? Like, do they basically use, you know, Brent Suter or somebody like that to get pounded? Well, hopefully have a decent start, but you know, kind of just decent enough. Maybe they can squeak out a win, but poor enough that they could say, no, we want to bring Corbin Burns up. Never say never about something like that. But does that even work with pitchers? Like it with does pitchers, with position it's players. Just, they're they're so far away. They have to throw so many pitches between the point where they would become free agents, and so much has to happen. So they have to fight decline. They have to you know fight off injury. They have to fight off everything. Playing service time games with pitchers seems like mostly a waste of time to me. Uh, and there could be exceptions to that. Maybe if you had a Steven Strasburg, like a generational talent, somebody like that. But for the most part, it seems like a waste of time to me. I also think it's worth noting that even though I think it is worthwhile to have the conversation because it's interesting, if they add another starting pitcher, Burns isn't breaking camp. With yeah, it. then it becomes a moot point because yeah. Woodruff right, is probably getting that final fifth spot. Absolutely. To be with Shasin, Anderson, Davies, and then hypothetical pitcher being added, right? I mean, that that's your starting five then. Then the question becomes, is Giovanni Gallardo going to break camp with team, with the team and, and things like that? But then I think if if the, the team gets what they want in terms of being able to add another starting uh, a starting pitcher, uh, then you're going to see Corbin Burns probably start in AAA. I, I just don't understand the point of sending him to Biloxi um, unless they're that terrified of AAA. But... I I think you risk him getting bored. You risk him 
not necessarily being as engaged. You risk him not throwing his secondary pitches or you risk him working on his secondary pitches, getting blasted and then suddenly being like, well, I found success here before what's going on. Um, There's just not a lot to be gained. I think to, to send him to double a, even though I understand obviously the issues with Colorado Springs. Well, we've also talked about how full the bullpen is at this point. So, I mean, the idea that Burns would even come up and pitch out of the bullpen seems to be a moot point there as well. well. You would think, yeah. So, um, okay. So, uh, we have a Patreon uh, question from Mitch Reichert. He asks, who is an underrated player at the AAA level that we could see play in meaningful games for the crew in 2018? And he says his guess is Nate Orff. Well, I guess that depends on what underrated player means so i guess underrated probably means not mauricio dubon probably doesn't mean corbin burns or Luis ortiz so i mean yeah is there somebody that you know isn't penciled in as a future major leaguer who could potentially I yeah because dubon like you brought up dubon because yeah you know he's somebody that i think everybody believes he will be a major league player at some point sure yeah my answer would be uh jorge lopez Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna he, stick. I'm gonna stick up my Jorge Lopez thing. Um, he's sort of fallen by the wayside. He yeah, has, but as a but as a relief prospect, is he really under? I mean, do you think I mean, he could be a relief ace? I think he could be very good, and okay. I say that without having seen much of him in a while. That's not an answer. <laughs> I think he could be very good. I don't, you relief, know Ryan likes relief, to give non-answers. So. Relief ace is a very high bar for me. I mean, we're talking when you say relief ace, we're talking about like Andrew Miller and like right. I know that you wanted you wanted to you wanted to not answer the question because you didn't want to be wrong if you said yes. I mean, I think he could be very good. I think he could be a guy who could close games. Do, for a team. do you think he could be a bullpen ace? Is the question right? Do you think he's got the talent to potentially do that? Not whether or not he will. I'm not editing the silence out. No, um, probably not. Okay, probably not quite. I mean, I don't oh, know. Come what on. Is, what has happened? Just with, give us an answer. Where is his, yeah, his curveball? Where is his curveball at these days? I don't know. I it's It's been a little while since I have seen much of him. So I'm I'm flying blind a little bit on this. But. I don't know. JP, do you have anybody else? Is there, you know, somebody in the bullpen possibly that might, you know, have some significance? I was going to say, I don't necessarily know if he counts as being underrated, but I think Taylor Williams is somebody that could potentially see some leverage innings as a reliever. Um, I also think that it's possible that Aaron Wilkerson is somebody that could potentially be, depending on injuries, if he needs to be able to step up to be in the starting rotation in some sort, I think he could potentially be, uh, a useful, a useful guy, um, in terms of meaningful games in the crew. If you have injuries down the stretch and you need somebody that can be the fifth starter in September. I think that you could absolutely see Wilkerson be a guy who does that. I know Keith Law said in a chat late last year that he thought Wilkerson was already ready to be a fifth starter in the big leagues at this point. So he thinks he's he's at that point. And he also really loves it. We talked about him a little bit on the minor league podcast, Adrian Hauser as well. And he could be in this discussion too. Ooh, yeah. Adrian Hauser's a really good shout. I changed my answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> I hit him first. You can't do that. Well, you know, whatever whoever wins this bet gets what bragging rights? I guess. Yeah, I don't, I know. don't know. But if Jorge now, but the thing is, is I'm going to say it right now. If Jorge Lopez becomes good, and Ryan tries to come back and say that he said that that was going to be the case, that he knew that he, pre- you know, he predicted that he was going to be a great bullpen guy, 
called bullcrap on it because he didn't ha- have the balls to say that he could be a bullpen ace. Oh, <laughs> you'd be terrible at doing those top 100 lists where, you know, people have to plan a flag on guys. <laughs> he would have in it and say, like, this is what he could potentially be. But uh, there are a lot of issues, too, that could. Potentially it would just be a list that you, you'd see. It'd have to be like uh, a flash web page where guys are constantly shifting their ranking. We just see him moving around. Uh. Yes. Anyway, I'd really like to answer this Ulsperge question. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> You're not running the show. We, you, I, got, you got drunk with power from the from the minor league. Extra I yeah, I think we'll, we'll we will I get, get drunk at cough medicine. We will get to that one eventually. But Steve Streeter asks: Should Keon be traded for Patrick Corbin in Arizona, or be traded for prospects? I can't see Keon on the opening day roster. Well, so for me, first off. It's a question of, I think Keon fits on the roster if Domingo Santana isn't here anymore. I think Keon offers flexibility to, in terms of being able to play all three outfield positions and offering some right-handed pop that you know complements the left-handed pop of Brett Phillips. But that doesn't work if you're, uh, if you're not, if, if Domingo Santana is still around at that point. That just doesn't, he doesn't have a spot. So, uh from that perspective, I would say I could see him on the roster, and I, th- I think there's a fit, but it's limited to what happens with the other spots. Um, as far as trading him for Corbin, I'm not huge on Corbin, uh, Breed. Um, I don't – I actually don't see the Diamondbacks taking that deal, um, to be honest. So I, I think that – for them, if they trade Patrick Corbin, they've still got big questions in terms of what they're doing in a starting rotation. I th- I, I know that a lot of people like I like Patrick Corbin in like 2005 or 2015 was like my dude, and he like I was so big on on Patrick Corbin, and so part of this could be because I like talked him up so much, and he ended up not being all that good that I'm bitter, but. Corbin still, uh, I know a lot of people do like him because he saw a velocity increase last year, a swinging strike rate uh, increased quite a bit, I believe up to like 11% or so. Um, his strikeout rate increased. He was able to to show a lot of the things that made him a really popular breakout guy a couple of years before. But the biggest question with Patrick Corbin is A, injury, but B, it's he still doesn't have anything in his repertoire to get out right-handed hitters. Um, and if you're a lefty who really struggles with that. That's not great. And so in that regard, right, like he'd be a back-end starter, which sure, fine. And if you trade Keon Broxton for a back-end starter, that's fine. But I don't necessarily know. If you if you trade for a Patrick Corbin, you still haven't solved your issues in the rotation if you're the Brewers. And then you potentially, I don't really know what Patrick Corbin does for you in that regard. I also don't think that Keon's going to bring anything back uh, in terms of quality prospects, I still think the thing to do is exactly what Ryan was talking about. You try to either, if you can sign Jake Arietta for a deal that makes sense, I still think that's potentially possible. Uh, if you try to move Domingo Santana for a young starter that you can have control over multiple years, again, that makes a lot of sense. And I, Keon Broxton, if you're trying to say that Ryan Braun is going to start at first base against lefties, you need another right-handed outfielder that can step in at that point. And you don't want Brett Phillips being your starting, you know, your platoon guy in center field is starting against lefties because you want to put Ryan Braun at first because you don't want to have Eric Thames 
play against lefties. You need to have a right-handed bat. That's where I think Keon Broxton makes the most sense. I understand that Domingo Santana almost makes sense for that role as well, but then I still think he deserves to, to have be a full-time starter somewhere. Yeah. So, oh, you brought up Jake Arietta. What does a reasonable contract for Arietta look like now that uh, Darvish has been signed? God, who knows? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I, I, I don't know. I'll just pass on it. I'll, <laughs> no, I'm going to pass on that question. Nobody wants to figure out what he's he should be worth because I mean, there are questions. People have said the Cubs haven't engaged with Arietta for right. specific reasons. So, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, is, has everyone been scared off because of the Cubs attitude towards Arietta? That seems possible. No, no, <laughs> no one's been, no one's been scared off or no one is taking the Cubs attitude towards Arietta as yeah, it's, I, it's not related. It's from what I've heard. It's not related to the Cubs. Okay. What would what would Ryan? What would you be happy with if the Brewers sign Arietta? Because I would assume the dominoes are going to start falling now that Darvish went because he was he was the top of the food chain here, so he was going to be the guy that set the market. So you hope, but then you look at how many of these guys are still Boris clients, and Boris is just willing to play it out. So I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I still going into the off season, I would I would have had absolutely no problem with four and a hundred for for Arietta. That would not have bothered me one bit. You know, it, it still seems fair. Who knows? There's with, with it playing out this long and with him not getting the interest that you maybe would have thought he would get, that seems like maybe it's over what the market is, is pricing him at. But God, who knows? It's, <laughs> I mean, chances Arietta gets 25 million a year. That would, on a short deal to, so that you're you're taking a high AAV. I mean, how short would that deal have to be, JP? Do you think for Arietta to get twenty five million a year? I don't know, man. There are there are there are some issues that need to be played out with the Arietta market. So I I don't feel like I can answer that question. Okay, well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens with that. Um, yes, yes, we will. It'll be interesting, and who knows? Maybe when this actually posts, it'll be a moot point as well because we've had a lot of those in this show today. <laughs> so uh, anyways, uh, we're going to wrap this up. JP, do you want to do the uh, Patreon thanks for the week? Oh, yeah. Let's say some thanks for, for some people. we got Rob Beasley, Joe Cromwell, Ben. Is it is it Ayler or Oler? I think it's Oler. Well, we could ask him. You know, the ben, if we if we say your name incorrectly, just scream at us on Twitter. Uh, but thanks. Thanks to Rob, Joe, Ben, for everybody. And it's been great to see, first of all, how many people have been interested in hearing the minor league extra podcast going forward. And it's all the love everybody's been showing has been great. So thanks again. Um, and you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash MKE tailgate patrons at the ball and glove level. will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast once per month. Um, that's why we call it monthly, right? Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh, as great marketing. A, you, you like that? I'm really yeah. driving that point home. We don't, yeah, it's absolutely you know, the thing is, uh, Ryan takes all the audio gear to record that since I'm not on the minor league podcast and I don't trust him having it more than once a month. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually recording at my place for the first time in a long time. It's been a while. I, yeah. I was going to say, I think it's interesting that you don't trust it. You don't trust Ryan with the, the stuff for more than a week, but like your son is coming like 
banged on the microphones multiple times. <laughs> oh yeah. So like you trust you trust Ryan way less than Lucas. I I let Ryan babysit my kid more often than I let him take the audio gear. <laughs> so uh <laughs> It's a good thing my wife doesn't listen. So, as always, you can listen to us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and or in the Google Play Store. Uh, you can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So, thanks for listening and look for us again on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Okay.